Patrick. Every Monday. Number five. What I'm about to show you is a fight scene from Star Trek Season 1, Episode 18. And as a bonus, I'm going to identify when it's Shatner and when it's his stunt double, Fred Lubins. Let's watch. That's Shatner, of course. That's Lubins. That's Shatner. That's Lubins. That's Shatner. That's Lubins. Now, that's Shatner. But when I freeze frame, you can clearly see Lubins' coffee cup sitting on that rock. He is the biggest dork on the planet. Oh, totally. And so, because of his rough-and-tumble style of command, Captain Kirk is clearly superior to Jean-Luc Picard. I find their illogic and foolish emotions a constant irritant. Then transfer out, freak! I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Cheap, lying, no good, rotten, fork, blushing, low-life, snake-licking, dirt-eating, inbred, overstuffed, ignorant, blood-sucking, dog-kissing, brainless, dickless, hopeless, heartless, fat-ass, bug-eyed, stiff-legged, spotty-legged, and now, together by live simulation via the internet, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. Blah, blah, blah! Hello and welcome back to Two True Freaks. I'm your co-freak Scott Gardner and joining me as always is my best friend, my co-freak, Chris Honeywell, one-time special assistant to George Takai. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, the th- oh man, I... <sighs> now how I don't special, say some special of the- assistant yeah. were you? Now, you see, contractually... There's very little I can say, so I have to really think about how I I tell the story. Ooh, or not my. tell the story exactly. Well let's just say this. I you know you know how lawyers and doctors and psychiatrists really can't talk about you know, they have that whole client relationship. Right, confidence. Yeah, there isn't really a legal. There, there are legal things like that with me because I signed contracts, obviously. But it's you know, it's not like a, a federal law or something like maybe like a doctor or you know or something like that. But it's also a professional thing. Whereas if you tell tales, you know, you're not liable to get a job. So, uh, but. So you're not a kiss and tell kind of guy. Well, I am. I have a big fucking mouth if anybody's noticed by now but at I read the same that on time the I don't want to get sued and I and you know when when the next celebrity needs a personal assistant which I swore I'd never do it again but you never know you never know how much you're going to pay you to do it um, I'm pretty sure I read that on a bathroom stall somewhere <laughs> a big fucking I mouth call this and his phone number I know I can tell this story because I, you know, I know other personal assistants, and I can tell 
Okay, okay, yeah, I can just tell a story from a person, a, a story of somebody else. And, and this was back in the 70s, so I'm probably not going to be, like, causing any trouble. But I knew a girl who was paid in the 70s to use uh, a straw to rectally administer a powder form drug to Stevie Nicks internally. <laughs> and that was part of her job. That was like awesome. a weekly. So I'm not saying that's list, what I did. How do you list that on a resume precisely? You I don't. Mean, <laughs> you don't find out about, you know, you find out about that just as you're about to take the job and, and, uh, and, uh, to, and, you know, the, the, the scary thing about that was, I'm sure it was being done recreationally by Stevie Nicks, but there was this whole, you know, this, there was this whole, this is a medical procedure, you know, a new age California, -y, yeah, whatever, <laughs> but, you know. It, it, when she was doing it, technically she was performing a medical procedure, <laughs> quite an invasive medical procedure. So I'm not saying that that's what I did. As a matter of fact, I'll specifically say that I did not do that specific act, but... Less than five minutes into we're in this the ballpark. episode, we're already on Stevie Nicks uh, out of out of Star Trek. I, I don't I don't know how these things happen, but uh, in this particular episode, we will later on be reviewing um, <laughs> the classic Star Sorry, Trek episode <laughs> Arena. But in the meantime, you you had something else that you wanted to talk well, about. You've been doing some reading lately. Well, lately, I, I just also wanted to announce this is the fifth Star Trek mon Monthly Monday, which means we're halfway to to episode 10. And episode 10 will be where we we do our review of Star Trek The Motion Picture. Absolutely. Now, so I want to say to right the motion now, picture. I, I, I have solicited, um, you know, privately, I've solicited some, some people that I believe have an interest in... Star Trek the motion picture if there's anyone else out there um, listening who doesn't just absolutely hate and detest Star Trek the motion picture and would like to join us for an intelligent discussion of what they actually like about the movie um, get a hold of me send me a PM on the forum or send us an email um, I definitely like to hear from more people who, you know, I, I know that the majority of the planet hates the movie, but I'd like to hear from the couple other people that, you know, are in my camp that actually like that one. Um, well, I'm excited because you're going to send me a copy of uh, the director's cut. That, yes. The Robert yes. Wise director's cut that, that you really like. So I'm going to finally get to see that. And that's probably that probably should be the one we review. Yeah, that would be the one we review, and I also uh, I'm sure make mention of the uh, of the extended one. Um, I forget what the hell they call that one, but there was when it when it came out on videotape. Eventually, it's weird. It was one of the very first quote unquote bootlegs that went legit. Oh, because it was uh, you know remember when when TV when movies used to come to TV. 
Sure. Um, and they they get like the special edition treatment on TV where the, you know right. because it was television they throw more stuff into it. Right. They to, wanted you know, they wanted pad to make it out. pad it out to three hours to get that extra yeah. money. Yeah. Like yeah. Exactly. Superman and, was inf- yep, infamously yep. had lots of stuff added to it. Oh yeah. Well, Star Trek did as well. Star Trek the motion picture, and because that stuff was so popular in that version, um. I don't know if bootleg was exactly the right word to use, but it was it was sort of that same idea. Well, yeah, somebody it actually had taped came, it on TV, right? And right, well, that was the one that eventually later on became like the quote unquote official version on uh, on uh, VHS was the longer version was basically the TV version, which up to that time I believe was unheard of. So, and I always liked yeah. that version. It had a lot more stuff in it. It did make a long movie longer, but I th- I felt that the stuff that was added in was pretty cool. Some of that stuff is actually lost with the later director's version. So basically, when we talk about that, you know, here and there, I might you know flow back and forth between make, the two of them. Make but, mention, yeah, yeah. That's that's still a few months off. Halfway yet, to yeah. there, yeah. Halfway yeah, to halfway. there. God, but, I can't believe it's been five months already, and I, I'm. I'm loving it, man. I'm, I'm, I've been I'm trekking really... out lately. Yep. Let's basically. I've been. Um, I've been watching all the old animated series. Ah. Uh, now, whenever I, I ride like... my bike, I hear the music. It's funny. I was I was looking for other filmation cartoons, and I realized they did the Tarzan, Lord of the Jungle. For I protect those who come here. For I am Tarzan mm-hmm. with Nakima. And uh, oh, have you found some of those? Yeah, they're all over uh, YouTube. Uh, Oh, I would love to see some of that stuff again. Well, yeah, I used to like that, and they had like the the Lone Ranger, and Oak-Mongani. I think that one Batman cartoon was uh, was filmation as well. The, you know, in the the one yeah. in the what was it seventy late seventies or early eighties where it had like Batmite and all that goofy shit in it. But it was still cool when I was a kid. Well, I was watching. Yeah, were... I, I started oh, watching ahead. the Tarzans because they um um. Recycled a lot of uh, the music from Star uh, from Star Trek into the into the Tarzan. So mm-hmm. whenever there was danger, it was that bam, da 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 da, bam. Music. I, I I think a lot of the filmation cartoons actually got recycled. That because, yeah, because there was some uh, some live action. Wasn't there some live action filmation stuff that I think also might have used some of that music as well? Yeah, there was. I can't remember what some of the live action filmation shows were, but there were a bunch of them. They were sort of, yeah. you know, they were sort of Sid and Marty Croft style, maybe. I have been all over the file sharing services, fully expecting to find like a great big packet of filmation source music, you know, just that generic music that they use. And I can't find shit, man. I'm surprised. I've been looking for it. And all I find is people talking about how they can't find it. And, you know, people who have isolated as much as they can from, you know, one part, you know, before there's dialogue or something. And, you know, like everywhere you can find a copy of the theme to, to the animated Star Trek because you can just bleed it right off the, you know, whatever, whatever version you have, the DVD. Now, I guess it's out on DVD now and the, or the video or whatever. Right. Yeah. I've got the DVDs. But, um, and I think on our last Star Trek monthly Monday, I used that music on the way out was, was the yep. 
filmation start, and and it's weird. I, I love those like fake. The, like you'll see it a lot on TV talk shows now, where somebody comes out and they want to play Purple Haze in the background, but they don't have the copyright to Purple Haze, so they do it all. It's Purple Haze, but one note's changed, or you know, or two. You know, there's just one little variation in it that makes it not Purple Haze, but it is when they come out. And that was sort of what that. You know how the do da 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 It was almost Star Trek. Same sort of idea, but it was a different, just a slightly different theme. Right. And I like it. It gives me this weird, surreal feeling. Because when, when I used to watch those cartoons as a kid, they always just felt very surreal to me. You know, they always had a very strange... They had that authentic Star Trek to them, but they also had that canned cheese to them. I've got a soft spot for that show. I love it now that I didn't have when I was a kid because yeah. as a kid, you know, and it's funny too because you know I'm a kid that watched and loved shit like Superman the Musical uh-huh. and the Wonder Woman movie with with Kathy Lee Crosby and you know just, you know like the the Super Friend the live action Super Friends specials and loved the shit ate it up with a spoon you know. Uh-huh. But then, you know, here's animated Star Trek, and I was like, eh, this is cheesy. You know, so, you know, go figure. But anyway, you know, years later, I would end up reading all those Alan Dean Foster novels, the Star Trek logs, which yep. all they were was novelizations of the animated series. Yep. Man, I love that shit, and it gave me a newfound respect for the animated stuff. So now I can actually tolerate it when I watch it, and some of it's actually really good. Some of it's really if good. If you can get past, you know, if you can get past kind of the, you know, the the problem that it suffers with is for one, the filmation animation was never the best stuff. It was basically your your bargain basement. Right. Saturday morning lips. animation, but also, you know the the um, the voices on there were quite literally phoned in. I mean, some of them were literally over the phone. You know, like uh, I'm pretty sure Shatner was one of them that Probably. never actually came to the studio. Oh no, he did and, because there's that infamous sabotage. Have you ever heard that sa- the sabotage? Spock, sabotage the system. Spock, restore the atmosphere. Spock, sabotage the system. I wish I knew what to do. Observations, Mr. Spock. Okay, we have line 193 again with uh, sabotage and sabotage. I don't say sabotage. You say sabotage. I say sabotage. uh, Don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me how to do my lines. You sicken me. You sicken me. And, you know, he keeps trying to get him to say sabotage. And Shatner's like, some people say sabotage. I say sabotage. I pronounce it sabotage. And it, but it's this whole pretentious actor, you know, having his little having his little moment of pretentiousness in the studio. And it's funny because in the last, I think it was the last Star Trek, the, the last episode we watched for a monthly Monday, or no, maybe it was in this one. Maybe it was in Arena that, uh, that Kirk actually says the line "sabotage," the word "sabotage," and he says "sabotage," and it's just like you bastard. <laughs> that isn't how you were just being a bastard. <laughs> but yeah, I've been, um, I've just been, I've been watching the old those old Star Treks, and I've been reading reading a lot of 
Star Trek. The last year, sometime it all bleeds into one, but in my garage sailing finds, I've just got this stack. I think I got them all at once from this guy who was a NASA freak. He had all these NASA hats and stuff, but he also had a lot of Star Trek stuff, which makes sense. And uh, in, stuck in all these Star Trek books, and they're all those trade paperback size ones and you know some of them are you can tell are like really like scruffy scruffily published you know they're the older ones like i've got one hardcover size it's the world's worlds of the federation and it's just oh i have that book and it's and it's got some color plates but it's in that same format but it was i i think this one was probably put out in the 80s by the that book i I found that book very handy recently i was reading um Star Trek uh, Ex Machina, which I'll, I'll do a review on probably in time for our next episode, our next uh-huh. Star Trek episode. But uh, the, it referenced some alien races that, for the life of me, I couldn't remember what the hell they look like. So I hunted that book up and found some of them in there. So, yeah, that book's actually pretty handy yeah. if you have trouble keeping straight your alien races. Yeah, it's got the Tholians. And it's funny, I forgot the Tholians look like the Master Control Program. And... uh but this one was like in '89. It's a hardcover. But this is that's the mutant out of them. That's like the high. All the rest of them are like soft cut. Like I've got one, uh, Trek 25th anniversary celebration. You know, it's basically a fanzine with you know fans by the fanzine people. You know, 20 years down the line, and uh, I I love that. And this guy James Van Heis apparently writes a bunch of them because I've got another one called The Man Who Created Star Trek, Gene Roddenberry. And these are all reference, ref, you know, reference, you know, I guess they're not, you would, cons- some of them are fiction, you know, like the Starfleet medical reference book or the U.S. Enterprise Officer's Manual and this one 25th anniversary of the Starfleet Dynamics. It's the Starfleet Academy Training Command um, Officer's Training Book. And it's dense. And my wife says I've got a lot of time on my hands. It's dense. <laughs> oh, you know, that's the sad thing is I just, you know, you would think that I have a lot of time on my hands. No, no, and, no, not you. I mean the people the people oh, who sat and wrote something like yeah. the Starfleet Medical. I mean, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. now I believe well, in uh, taking you know, your Granted, I'm, re- I'm taking the time to read it, but I'll tell you what, I'm reading it on the shitter. <laughs> so I'm, you know, I'm... <laughs> I'm killing two birds with one stone. And all the middle of these, too, there was a ticket stub for the Star Trek exhibition at the National Air and Space Museum on April Now, just, 13th, just a tangent for a second. Sure. I would love to meet an author one day, shake their hand, and said, I read your book on the crapper. Yeah. And- How do you think that they would re- respond to that? You know, what what well, if it was a guy who writes, if it's a guy who writes the, um, what is it, Uncle John's, you know, reader books that are meant to be read on the toilet, I think he'd be flattered. It depends on who it, if, uh, you know, I mean, Dostoevsky or something would be just like, what, uh, probably pretty offended that you read his, his novels <laughs> while defecating. But uh, I don't know. <laughs> If we ever get to a convention, let's try it out. We'll get the videos. You need to hunt up the author of the I Starfleet have... Medical thing on the internet. I'm sure you can find an email for him somewhere. Yeah. Email him and tell him you loved his book. You, see... you read it over three trips to the oh. shitter. Here's, here's... 
Here's the thing. Here's the thing. There's no real off author listed. It's in character. The whole thing's in character. Oh my god. Except, except for, you know, like the copyright part that says copyright 1977 by Starfleet Productions in, Incorporated. But I mean, the, no. the, the, this one, this, this Starfleet Dynamics one, when you go to the copyright page, I think it, hang on, I think it's like 2191, 2291. Copyright now, look, 2291 uh, by the Starfleet Academy Training I'm, I'm going to be a total hypocrite for a second because I know that we already did an episode about like geek elitism and all that. And I don't mean to sound like that, but I just know that there's somebody out there going, hey, that's not funny. That was a really cool and interesting book. You know what I'm saying? yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's like, oh, Jesus Christ, come on. You know, I mean, that's just These, a little too I'm far into you. wearing your Starfleet uniform well, to it's court. Like learning Klingon. Right? It's like learning Klingon. And God bless them. Yeah, but really, Klingon. you know, I mean, learn Spanish would be a lot more useful, you know. But I, I, no, I, no, 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 no. The- I had this conversation with somebody the other day, believe it or not. Who, who was, oh, it was my, my cousin's husband. He, he's a New York State trooper. Uh-huh. And I, and or other, we got into this wacky, weird-ass conversation, right? Yeah. And I said, you know how they're changing all the ATMs in America now to be, like, bilingual? You know, they're, like, English and Spanish. Uh-huh. I said, God damn it, I'm going to go and I'm going to file a lawsuit that I want an ATM that has Klingon as a fucking option on it. I'm serious as a heart attack about this. I mean, I'm not serious that I give a shit. It's just I'm serious that I want to prove how absurd the system is, right? How you can exploit it for any agenda you want to if you're, like, bold enough or well, asshole then, enough. then you should start a Klingon rights movement. Goddamn straight, man. Wouldn't you, that be you, great to you go to your local find, HDM? You, well, could, listen, you could choose English, Spanish, or Klingon. You could, find enough, the you could find enough people who would take you seriously. Who would, oh, yeah. Who you could, just like the people who consider themselves vampires, you could go out there and find some people who are like, I'm considering having metal plates put underneath the skin of my, you know, between my skin and my skull, my scalp and my skull, so I can have the frontal ridges and the... Blah, 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 and blah, and the, my wife here, and we go through the standard Klingon mating ritual every week before, and then we fight before we have sex. And... Wasn't it in that Trekkies movie? There was that dude that was going to have surgery to make his ears pointed like Spock? Oh, that's right. Yeah, yes. sure. Yeah, you're right, man. There probably are some people uh-huh. out there that would be, uh, yeah, hey, yeah. oh yeah, I'm all about the Klingon rights. Yeah, Good. let's do it. Well, you're going to ah. need people like that. You're going to need people to cite examples of Klingon. Like, I just saw a video of some poor people who were, A, they were stupid because they were telling everybody at their work, they lived down in Tennessee, I think it was. Well, there were, you go. And they were telling everybody at work how they were atheists. And, like, pretty soon everybody in town knew that they were atheists, and pretty soon the guy lost his job. They pretty much got run out of town. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and and it was like, yeah, if you live down in Tennessee, I guess, the you know, you don't go around. I mean, it's too bad that you can't, but that's the reality of... Why am I talking about that? From Klingons? I don't know. All I know is I just totally pissed off all of our Tennessee listeners. But, oh, well. you know, that's all right. You know, there's vast areas in Tennessee where they don't even have electricity, so we probably don't really have to worry about that too but, much. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> much less computers. But this, uh, but all these books, really, the the the, the Gene Roddenberry biography and the and I got the and I have actually two. Co- if anybody out there is really in desperate need of a 
of a Star Trek compendium, and it's the one that's updated up to Star Trek V. I've got two copies of the Star Trek compendium. I think I need that. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, I wish I would have known. I could have, I could have slipped it to you at Arby's when. Oh, I know it wasn't that awesome. For 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 listeners that don't know, Chris and I did we did we did we talk about that? Oh yeah, I did that. I did that five minute freak on it. But in case yeah. people didn't listen to it, yeah, Chris and I recently got to see each other face to face for the first time. And what did we figure? Seventeen this, or eighteen years. Yeah. Damn, long, that was long cool. enough for someone to be of legal age <laughs> to go off to war. God, oh my god, that's oh! You just made me feel <laughs> fucking. Or go buy a, buy a pack of cigarettes at the store or something. Yeah. God, yeah, that's that's true. I could I could have had a full grown child in 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 that time. In that time period, yeah. Shit, yeah. Oh man, thanks for making me feel more fucking ancient than I already yeah. feel. Oh, man. But, uh, but yeah, this um. The the compendium in the Gene Roddenberry book have been very entertain very good reading. The compendium, ah, I just that's a that's a by the crapper book, but it's great because you can read. You know, I I learned I learned something very interesting about this very episode that that, and I'm and I'm and I'm also very happy to get the glean my information from a book, rather than like IMDb or. Wikipedia. Wikipedia. Not that there's anything wrong with those, but it's sort of like if you're listening to a podcast, then half the people who are listening to the podcast are on a computer, and if they hear something they're interested in, they go to Wikipedia or, I, you know, if they hear – if someone's talking about a movie, half the people I know are like on IMDB looking it up and going, oh, okay, you know, and finding out what the scoop is on it. So it's sort of redundant for you to just go and quote – but. I don't mind quoting like the Star Trek compendium because it's like an old-fashioned book that I like. Ah, let me see. I, I know it sounds really mean, but that's starting to bother me to the degree that if I had a lot more time and a lot more vicious streak than I actually do, uh-huh. I would go to sites like that just to fuck stuff up. You know Wikipedia what I mean? And stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, it does kind of bug me that people are too goddamn lazy to like look things up in a book, you know? I mean, that's well, why I have books. Well, that's why I've got, about, you know. What I like about Wikipedia is if, if you're like – you know, whatever, don't want to use it as a reference or don't like it as a reference. It's also, but it is a good, then it, it could be useful as, you know, it's, uh, I did it in the Rochester version of Wikipedia is like, I have a couple bands and stuff like that. And you could go in and make a little section and talk about, or, you know, and I went to a couple places where there was like, uh, um, a, a certain bar that used to have bands in there. And I would, but, you know, this is, you know, Elvis Costello got kicked out of this bar at one point and added in there. And that's kind of neat that you can go in and sort of, if you have knowledge of something, you can go in and fill in stuff. But it also, at the same time, you can sort of mess with it. And uh, I will I will say this. I have messed with Wikipedia before to see if their way of vetting information is accurate or not and checking information. And I can tell you, I got some... I got some interesting. I'm not going to say what they are because I don't want to. But I put stuff on Wikipedia that was completely a lie, <laughs> and then like let it sit there for a while, and then I can do Google searches and like I've like taken people who were like fake characters, but now you could go and like find several Wikipedia entries that that like 
cross-reference a movie about these people so that somebody goes, is this movie real? And they could, if they put their name into Google, you know, up would come a Wikipedia reference that backs up the movie, you know, cited as a piece of historical fact. And that's been up there for like three or four years now (laughs) without anybody going, wait a minute, this isn't, this never happened to this person. So... (laughs) There you go for, you know, you got to take it with a grain of salt. But, you know, I mean, these books are sort of fan books, too, so they're... But uh, the the Gene Roddenberry book was fascinating because it had a lot of... Uh, it really covered hardcore, a lot of the other um, um, shows that he tried to pitch and, and uh, pilots that he shot for, like, the... I think it was Ge- Genesis 2 was one of them. And then mm-hmm. Planet Earth was like a sort of sequel to Genesis 2. And I actually went and watched, found Genesis 2 on like YouTube and watched it. And it was great. It wasn't super great, but it was really good. It had that, it had that Gene Roddenberry feel to it. And it could have been, you could tell it could have been a really good, interesting science fiction. You know, it had a premise to it that, and a character that was, that was compelling. You know, it could have worked. And uh, so it's sort of so I've dug all this stuff out. I'm sort of getting back, starting to feel. And now I'm like feeling the temptation to uh, to cut ahead on like Star Trek episodes and just watch. You know, there's there's certain episodes that I've just had the temptation to just watch. But I'm gonna. I, I'm sort of think I'm gonna try to keep to um, doing it along with the show. You know, so it's a sort of more fresh because I've it's been years since I've seen most of these episodes yeah so. me too see I've had the same temptation myself but I when when it comes to classic Trek because we're covering it on the show yeah I'm 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 having to fight that urge so I'm I'm contending myself with you know whenever I get that itch I'll, I'll watch you know some other form of Trek you know one of the movies or just one of the yeah. other T, you know, one of the other TV shows, one of the other incarnations. Plus, I'm reading a lot of the books right now, too. And, and uh, Tony, um, Mobile Home on the forum. And I apologize, Tony. I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce your last name, man. I know I'll butcher it. So um, if you want to uh, email me or what and let me know the correct pronunciation, I'll give you the proper shout out. But uh, anyway, Tony, uh, we did a, a trade recently through uh, the trade section of the forum. Um, which, by the way, if you guys haven't checked that out, check it out. It's awesome. I mean, all it is is it's a bunch of guys go in. And, you know, anybody can do it. You know, you list what uh, what stuff you've got. You know, available that you just don't want anymore. You know, list it up there and uh, tell somebody to, you know to offer you a trade for it. And you know, it's a good way to just trade off stuff that you've got that you don't want. You know, and uh, I put a bunch of comics up there and uh, I had some really good trades. And I did a trade with Tony. Um, for a couple comics, I can't even remember what the hell they were. One of them was Ms. Marvel number one, which, you know, hell, that was, you know, to me, that was worth something. You know, it was a comic I'd never read. And I really wanted to check it out. Uh-huh. And I can't remember what the other comic was. Well, then I, I got the comics from Tony, and uh, there's all these extra books in there. I was, I was thrilled, man. He just he chalked it full of all kinds of stuff. And a couple of them were uh, the John Byrne series uh, through IDW, the Trek series, um, Hollow, I think it's Hollow Crown is the name of it. Shoot, I was just looking at it here a second ago, and now I, I went and changed the page. I think that was the name of it. But um, anyway, yeah, it was, a, it was a John Byrne, you know, one of the recent books he did for IDW. 
and uh and it was both issues and uh, sadly i have not had the chance to actually sit and read it yet but i'm really anxious to because i love me some john Byrne, uh-huh. love me some star trek so you know the two of them crossing over can only be a great thing so really looking forward to to reading that but that was just that was just so nice you know that he, he went and threw in you know freebies like that especially something that i have been wanting to read because i've heard nothing but good things about idw's uh Star Trek books that they're you know, comics that they're putting out right now, and I just have not had a chance to check any of them out. So I was really excited about that. So thank you, Tony. Yeah. Oh, you know what else? I I, I just recently finished Shatner's movie Memories. Oh yeah, I remember you telling me about this. Yeah, I think I was going to talk about it last time, but we were sort of getting eaten up time. But that was a good one, especially crossed with the Gene Roddenberry book, because it seems like Shatner seems like Shatner had his problems with everybody, but it seems like Shatner had some problems with Gene Roddenberry in the way because the way he describes him in the book is sort of he has respect for him, but at the same time he thinks he kind of like misman uh, maybe miss he he sort of comes off as thinking that Roddenberry could have uh, handled himself less maybe. Um, erratically or emotionally or something you know he he seemed to have the opinion that maybe Roddenberry would just try to mess with some of the stories just to, as a control issue right know, just by the way Shatner would tell the stories but it was you know he was being political so he never was outright like slamming Gene Roddenberry but you could tell he was like yeah the guy came up with Star Trek but you know he just you know he would mess with everybody who was trying to do it but at the same time he you know and you know, I think uh, it, I think a lot of it is Shatner competing. You know, I think Shatner is like feels responsible for the creation of Star Trek a lot, which he is by his portrayal of Kirk. But it was a very, it was a very, uh, and it was, and I listened to it as an audio book, and it was read by Shatner himself. So you know, it was just very entertaining, and it's all just behind the scenes stories of him. You know, is. Uh, an actor, his post, you know, post the TV show, he was sort of a nobody and was like traveling around in a camper. And then and then all the politics of how the movies got made and almost didn't got, get made. And we're going to be a TV show and then a movie and then a TV show and then a movie. It was all very exciting. And then cross reading that story from Roddenberry's point of view was, in the Roddenberry book was very interesting. Uh, you know, hearing the exact same story from just a slightly different angle, you know, or, you know, just a slightly different recollection of it was, was pretty, pretty interesting. I love that. I love that behind the scenes stuff about how stuff gets done. And Star Trek's a classic example of something that, you know, that, that classic, you know, it was being, Hey, yeah, we'll make this show for you, and then fighting them the whole way, and then the show actually probably having incredibly good viewership, but the Nielsen ratings being completely inaccurate. So it had right. bad ratings, but NBC even knew that people were watching it. But at the same time, they would, and I think they sort of maybe would maybe cancel it the first time. And the second, you know, on every season, maybe they played up the cancel thing to get the base stirred up, you know, or they would say, we're going to cancel Star Trek, you know, it might have been a bit of publicity, because they knew that there were a lot of people watching that show, and it was winning awards, and they were trotting it out as sort of a jewel in their crown, so... 
it's it's sort of weird, you know. It's sort of weird, and then it sounds like a lot of like the the problem between TV, you know, TV show and movie, and back to TV show is because Roddenberry wouldn't compromise on a lot of his ideas. But that's probably a good thing, <laughs> right? But I remember waiting for the motion picture to come out, and you know, hearing it's on, it's off, it's on, it's off. It's going to be a TV show. It's going to be a movie. And no, it's going to be nothing. And that used to drive me nuts. As it used to, it was driving me nuts as a kid. But anyway, that was it. Was I? I recommend Shatner's movie memories, and I'm eagerly awaiting either finding the book or the audio book of his Shatner's TV memories, which I guess was the original book. You need to. Uh, I, I doubt it was ever a uh, an audio book or anything, but you know, keep an eye out. You know, as you go around to. Your different sales and what for a book right. called Captain Quirk, uh, Q-U-I-R-K. Uh, it was an unauthorized biography of uh, uh, William Shatner. This was back a number of years ago. It's been a long time since I read it, but I remember it being a really interesting read because it really gave you a, a, a lot of backstory on Shatner. It was done more or less respectfully, but I'm sure that there was some shit in there that he wasn't he too like, happy yeah. about either. So, but, but yeah, it was it was an interesting book. I, I got a real kick out of that one. And then, uh, you know, I, I've always been surprised. You know, you hear so much talk, of, of course, about Shatner's Trek books that he wrote, and for a while, those Tech War books that he wrote right. were were a big deal and all that. There was even like TV movies and all that shit. But he wrote a book. Trying to remember who the hell he co-wrote the book with, and I'm not spying it on my bookshelf, so I may have it boxed up somewhere i can't remember where the hell it is now but it was a book called believe he co-authored it with another guy i just can't remember the co-author's name and it was a story about um harry houdini's friendly rival uh rivalry with his friend um sir arthur conan doyle and it all had to do with um like whether or not there was like real magic and whether whether there was a real afterlife and stuff like that and oh it was a really really good read it was a really good book because you know you, you remember I mean years ago I was yeah. a real Houdini freak I mean yep. I really was into Houdini and so I read this book at like the peak of my fascination with Houdini and was really impressed because a lot of times somebody will come up with an idea you know. Uh, let's do a story about, you know, blah, blah, blah meets Jack the Ripper. And, you know, they'll do the book and the characterizations are totally off. You know, so you can tell they didn't do any fucking research whatsoever. But this book nailed Harry Houdini. I mean, he was exactly the way you would imagine Houdini probably really was. And not in a likable way. I mean, Houdini was probably a lot like Shatner. I mean, well, I'll tell you, probably... Shatner's a method actor too, I think. Right. So he probably like tried to really get inside Houdini's skin. Right. Would, you know, hopefully. <laughs> but, but I mean, I, I'm, I'm certain that, you know, as, as lauded and as, and as much of a legend has built up around, you know, any, any person of, of historical note, really, you know, there's a lot of them. Uh, Walt Disney comes to mind. You know, people that you know we've we've built this sort of legend about them, and we we tend to look at them 
you know, look back at them and think, oh, they were probably a really nice guy. Or they were really great. No, I bet you Houdini was an asshole in real life. You know, I bet you to a certain degree, he was probably a real dick, you know, and that's how he kind of was in this book because Houdini was a powerful ego, a very powerful uh, personality. Right. And so he probably came across as very egotistical, very overbearing. He was probably one of those people that when he walked into a room, just just kind of absorbed the, the life towards him. Yeah, yep. exactly. You know, so I was really impressed with that's how he's portrayed in the book. You know, he's a, he's a very powerful personality. And, uh, you know, I've heard the same thing, you know, by, by people who knew, knew people who knew him said about like uh like Walt Disney you know everybody seems to think because they grew up watching him as you know Uncle Walt on TV that oh he was a sweet grandfatherly old na- old man yeah. well they they for- they tend to forget that he was a tough as nails businessman so he yeah. probably wasn't a big teddy bear he was probably, he was probably a could big be teddy a real bear when he was with his kids and his grandkids and stuff yeah. and and in front of the cameras but yeah but yeah. Getting... but that was an image he had to sell to yeah. you know to get wanted you know um, john lennon was an infamous yep. bastard to a lot of people you know but all you mr all you need is love bed in for peace was yep. like a, like shooting heroin and treating all his friends like shit you know treating women like treating lots of women like shit so yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely a definitely a book worth uh worth tracking and both of those books are worth tracking down i think well i uh, you know, i say i say this um speaking of tracking down I say we get in our harpoon boat and uh, ah. go uh, go harpoon us a whale while we're on the <laughs> subject of books. And, Excellent. Uh, come back and we'll and we'll after that we'll talk about our uh, our, our subject this week. <laughs> the uh, epi- what is it? Number eighteen. Arena. Teen. Arena. With the Gorn. We'll be right back with. Oh, there I see on the horizon. Ahoy. <laughs> there she blows. There she blows. <laughs> Sorry, I was eating a Twinkie. Hi, friends. It's me, Orca Stay Free. And this is the Orca Book Club. Welcome to the Orca Book Club. Today's selection is Star Trek Voyager, The Farther Shore, by Christy Golden. This book is a direct continuation of the novel Star Trek Voyager Homecoming, also by Christy Golden, that you may recall I reviewed way back in Episode 10 of our show. The story has essentially two primary storylines running in it. The A-plot is that a slow-spreading Borg virus has cropped up on Earth and Starfleet Intelligence is in a panic about it. The just-returned crew of Voyager are the primary suspects, and as a result, several of the crew are detained, interrogated, and in the case of Seven and Nine and uh, Ichab, are in mortal danger. Our heroes must work to free themselves and their imprisoned colleagues and not only prove their innocence, but stop the plague before it spreads too far. The B-plot concerns the escalation of the threat caused by the hologram revolt. For those that didn't hear or don't remember my review of Homecoming, the Hologram Revolt storyline revolves around a human guy who sympathizes with the plight of lowly holograms and orchestrates a revolution to try to force people to acknowledge the need for a hologram bill of rights or some stupid thing. With apologies to Adrian Veet on the forum, I still think the whole idea of rights for computer programs is 
to quote the great philosopher John Wayne, regoddamned ridiculous. It's getting to be regoddamned ridiculous. See what I mean? But it is handled better in this book. The writer makes a decent storyline out of it, and best of all, best of all, it has a resolution that made me laugh my ass off. It's the perfect resolution to what was one goofy-ass premise to begin with, in my opinion, and I couldn't have asked for a better, more satisfying ending. I'm just surprised the author actually went through with it. On the plus side, we get to see all of our favorite characters again, Janeway, Tuvok, Seven, and the gang. Best of all in this book, like Homecoming before it, no fucking Neelix. You can't ask for much more than that, really, can you? On the negative side, I am sick and tired of the Borg each and every story, or every other story. Or It's ridiculous. They're just used too much. This makes like the umpteen Borg try to invade the Federation or enslave the Earth story. Uh, you know, enough already with the Borg. You know, can we see some other bad guys, please? You know, uh, what what are the Tholians or Armus or the Throat Symbiote guys or the Assheads? What are they all up to? No more Borg for a while, okay? We need a moratorium on the Borg. Overall, it was a pretty good book. Christy Golden is, a, is very good at nailing the essences and accurate portrayals of the many different characters. The story wraps up nicely, and I would have liked to have seen a bit more of a where-are-they-all-going-to-go-from-here type of ending, because it still feels, like the finale episode before, it still feels kind of anticlimactic. But it, it does leave the door open for future adventures with the characters, and you know, we'll probably get that in subsequent novels. If you were a Voyager fan or you know, just enjoyed this series, I do recommend this one. It's Star Trek Voyager, The Farther Shore by Christy Golden. Check it out. This has been the Orca Book Club. Alright, we're back, and uh, we're going to go into our main topic, which is Star Trek, the original series, episode 18, Arena. And uh, Scott will give us a little summary encapsulation of uh, this classic Star Trek episode. Cool. Here's the the quick and dirty lowdown on this episode. Alright, Kirk and crew, uh, let's see, it's uh, Kirk, Spock, McCoy... And some security dudes, they beam down to the planet Cestus 3. They've been uh, called there and invited down to the planet for some sort of shindig. And they get down there and realize that the the settlement has been utterly devastated and destroyed. And uh, they de- Spock determines that it's uh, inhuman attackers. He says that they are not human is what he picks up on his tricorder and after a heated battle, the aliens take off in their spaceship and Kirk and crew beam up to the Enterprise and set out in hot pursuit. And as they're just about catching up with the aliens, suddenly both ships drop out of warp and are captured basically by a race, an unseen race called the Metrons, who abduct Captain Kirk off the bridge of the Enterprise and the captain of the alien vessel off of his ship 
and set them up on a planet where basically they are to do mortal combat until one of them kills the other and at at which time whichever captain is the loser his ship will like likewise be destroyed and when kirk gets down there and uh and the battle is on he suddenly realizes that he is up against a giant lizard man called a gorn and uh kirk and the gorn battle and uh it's uh it's a pretty ingenious episode as far as the battles are really good and everything and kirk uh comes up with a uh, a pretty clever way of defeating the gorn captain um and when he's got him at his mercy kirk decides that uh he can't kill him that that maybe the guy was honestly thought he was defending his people and just doing his duty and so kirk refuses to kill him uh, one of the Metrons materializes and, and tells Kirk that maybe there's hope for humanity after all. And one day, maybe thousands of years from now, they can, we can all get together and be buddies. And uh, so Kirk and, and the Gorn and everybody all kind of go on their merry way. And that's the end of the episode. And uh, so what do you think about this one, man? Well, it's got all the classic themes of Star Trek. Kirk fighting mm-hmm. <laughs> and... um um you know the 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 um just seeing more to a story than these are the bad guys you know i mean that the 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 setup of cestus 3 is like one is really good it looks like a really war blasted out place right and um you know that this has been a whole settlement of people just wiped out by these guys so they're set up as the bad guys but you start you know you start get, learning through it that maybe through a horrible misunderstanding that they actually thought they were defending themselves so and and you know having the the omnipotent omnipotent being that that comes out and is like we're testing humanity's you know potential for advancement is a very star trek theme you know it, it, it right into the next generation with q you know there was always somebody who was more advanced than us either judging us or somehow have they've gone wrong and screwing with us and then we beat them because they're corrupted. But the ones that aren't corrupted are usually just sort of, you know, coaxing us along in our evolutionary progression. And that's, and, and it's just a, and it's got a classic chance for Kirk to fight somebody. (laughs) So it's got everything you want, except for there's no chick action in this one. Obviously, it's a pretty straight up. Battle. Kirk gets hugged, though. He gets hugged a lot by the uh, by the Gorn, though. That's true. They do sort of do a little like, you know, a, a like boxing rope a dope hug. <laughs> Good. <laughs> but this is just—I mean, this show is just full of. I love this. I love this episode, and I and I gotta say, I made sure I didn't watch the re tooled up version with the blinking Gorn and I guess a bleeding Gorn too as our guest from from the last show Chris Gallo was talking about. Right. Um, so I wanted to watch the old school stiff as a board you know Gorn. That That's what I watched as well. Now now I'm curious, did, did you watch this alone or did you watch it with somebody? No, I just watched it. I'll, I'll, I, I have nobody at my house to watch Star Trek with. Although my roommate has a fascination with Star Trek because she believes, this is great, she believes her 
parent her parents are Kirk and Spock. Her mom is Mr. Spock and her dad is Captain Kirk. And he's kind of like well, he's kind of built like he's he's in better shape than the current Shatner, but you know, he's like a Star Trek 3 Shatner and his mo- and her mom looks like her her mom was adopted, so she's starting to think maybe her mom, you know, Leonard Nimoy had a had a sister or something, you know, on the sly or something cuz she's I left my Star Trek compendium in the bathroom. <laughs> and she's like, I swear to God, my mom is related to Spock. They have the same face. He, I can't look at that picture of Kirk and Spock and not think of my parents. But I don't think I could talk anybody here into watching Star Trek with me. So, well, yeah. I, uh, as, as much as I can, I've been trying to, uh, to get my kids to sit down and watch it with me because I, I want to be able to see it through, through fresh eyes, eyes you know uh-huh. yeah exactly and 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 get you know get a a first timer's reaction to these and uh you know my youngest boy you know he's 8 and he really liked it he 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 seemed to get the same things out of it which i you know that i always have which is you know the gorn's really cool you know he's he's cool he's a lizard man and all that yeah, whereas a lot of people Scotty, sort of like to make fun of him but yeah yeah you know Scotty's Scotty you know older. he's he's older he's about to be a teenager and he just kept rolling his eyes and giving me that, oh, dad, this is so stupid look, you know, and, and he kept saying, oh, this is so cheesy. But I, by the end of it, I think he was won over. See, this is the thing with classic Star Trek. Yep. It can win you over with story. You, you can see past the cheesy effects and the cardboard boulders and stuff like yep. that. But to see good what they were and going good characterization. For. Exactly. And so by the end of it, I think he dug it as far as, what they were going for and what the story was, but this was one of the harder ones for him to see past, you know, the really, you know, the to him, the really che- yeah, exactly. The cheesy monster and the, and the styrofoam boulders and all that. And then my wife, of course, was, she was well, totally, you know, making fun of it. And, well, there, not only were there styrofoam boulders, but there were parts where there were real boulders, but it looks like they took tinfoil balls and just sort of stuck tinfoil to it and, like, mashed it into the little folds of the boulders to, like, here, it's space rock now. <laughs> Get some tinfoil. Just shove it in there. It's space rock. I, well, I, I noticed in uh, I noticed in the very beginning when they're on Cestus 3 and they're in the combat situation, uh-huh. you know, Kirk runs or does his little shoulder roll or whatever. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, the, three yeah, or four of them. <laughs> and he, uh, he slams into this little, like, it's supposed to, I guess it's supposed to look like it's been like, like, uh, melted away or something, but it's like a portion of a wall. And I actually had to rewind and watch it again. But when he hits the wall, the wall actually moves. So even though it's made to look like concrete, it's yeah. very obvious like styrofoam or something. Cause he moves the wall when he <laughs> slams into it. But, uh, yeah, man, I, you know, I can't help it. I, I've always liked this episode and, you know, oh, yeah. I, I, I'm not going to apologize for it. You know, I mean, granted the, the monster, you know, he's a little cheesy, but you know what? From, from the neck down, he's, he's an awesome looking, it's, it's really just the head. It was the technology, for the technology of the day. It was great, but yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you look at like when he turns around in that one scene and, you know, you see like his, his legs and all that. I mean, he looks pretty realistic. I mean, the, the legs, you know, have the muscles and tendons and all that. I mean, it looks pretty, pretty cool. It, it's just, you know, it's the head, really. It's the, right. it's the lizard headpiece 
was just beyond you know their their sixties. Yeah, they could know. just manipulate it so it's sort of open and close a little bit, you know. Right. And that's about it, you know. But I, I still love it. I, I still think oh. it's an awesome episode. I think that Gorn was was a great um There's a a great villain. There's a great I love this there's it has one of those things that I love about old T V shows and they don't do this shit anymore and I wish they would. Where the Gorn just walks into the ca- it walks right up to the camera till he blacks out everything, and then the next shot is a hundred and eighty degree cutaway of the of the Gorn going the opposite direction. So he, <laughs> you know, so like theoretically, you've just you're in this like the Gorn walks through the camera as it's walking through the camera. The camera spins around, so he walks out the other end, and you see him walking. I love that shit. I Love it. It's, so those are awesome transitions, and that's a cardinal rule of film that you're not supposed to break. It's a 180 degree rule. Is not cutting from a shot that's 180 degrees from the last shot that it doesn't look right. But that's how you make it look right: is you have the ca- person walk right into the camera, and uh, that's certainly what the Gorn does. And there's all there's. I love there's just the. I love that like when on the Enterprise are like your captain's gonna die, so we're gonna let you watch. And uh, we're, yeah. we're going to transmit what's going to happen. And um, the, 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 they're watching it on the screen, and it's cut like a TV show. It's got the cutaway shots. It's got the scratches on the film. It's got zooms. You know, some guy, some Metron advanced being is like, zoom in, zoom in on Kirk's face. <laughs> you know, it's awesome. I love that shit. I mean, that's that's cheesy shit. But as as you said, the story to this is so awesome because, like, at the beginning, you know, you have your your cheesy battle where you, where they save money by you don't see the Gorn army; they're out of range, just shooting at them, and they're shooting back with the rocket launchers and just, you know, hoping to to get them. So all you need is really a burnt out piece of land, and then, um, you know, then they start chasing the. Gorn ship and Kirk is vengeful. He's getting crazy. He's pushing the engines. He's sweating and getting a little irrational. You know, everybody on the bridge is sort of looking at each other like, "He's, you know, Kirk's, you know, we're gonna get him." You know, and he's chasing him down, and he's pissed. He's pissed, and he wants some vengeance on on all those people that were killed on Cestus Three, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as you know, it's 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 really written well, and you know, I mean, all the acting in this show is, as as everybody knows, is awesome. That's why it is what it is. So, you you know, despite all the cheesiness, you always end up getting not always, but for the most part, you get and get sucked in to this storyline. That's you know a great, um, a great classic Star Wars the, or Star Wars Star Trek theme, with and. Ooh, we're gonna get letters. Yeah. Well. Well, you know, we'll we'll see the some of these themes revisited with Kirk too, because there was an an episode called Obsession where uh, there was that cloud creature that Kirk had encountered right. when he was like a junior officer that killed right. like his his old captain and everything. Well, that's the, a really good one, and that's the first. He acts somewhat similar in in that episode too. Yep. Yep. As he's oh, yeah, he's completely obsessed, and uh, mm-hmm. that was the first. Um, of reading the Star Trek James Blish books. That was the first story I read. In oh, one wow. Of those James Blish books. I remember it like that. And then the one after it was for the world is hollow and I have touched the sky. And that was the next one. But, um, 
I had a couple of uh, of notes here. I, I had a couple just general thoughts, general notes, uh-huh. and then I had a bunch of uh, you know I, I've really been been challenging myself to watch carefully, and and basically what I'm doing is I'm testing myself versus the the nitpickers guide, right? And I actually spotted some stuff that is not in the nitpickers guide, so oh, I, was, I was kind of proud of myself, I, but. Uh, before I get to that, um, now, do you think the whole, you know, the thing where Kirk's, you know, he's blasted the alien, he's got him down, he's, he's totally at Kirk's mercy, and then Kirk can't, he, well, he either can't do it or won't do it. He doesn't kill him. He lets him go. He he, he yeah. challenges the the supreme powers, you know, and, yeah. you know, I'm not going to do it. Is this what you want? You know, yeah, yeah it's a classic, it's, much parody. It's classic, but does Kirk. it feel, yeah, exactly. But does it feel kind of cliched at this point? It seems like we've seen this. It Maybe might not have been I've cliched at that point. Right. But, but yeah, I mean, it's, has it's, it since become, you think? Yeah, well, I think actually probably this episode was one of the first in in this one where it was where it was like that well no there, it happened quite a bit <laughs> paging through the episodes before this there's a lot of other ones like this so yeah by this but it's it's a theme you know if you think about tv shows tv shows really beat their theme into the ground you know that's all they got to do so you know a lot of you know the that's a, a, a lot of times TV shows are just saying the same thing over and over, but they're just doing it in, you know, a different, with a different entertaining story hung around it, you know, so that way it's familiar. I think people like the familiarity and I think that, that those, you know, the, the, the theme of humanity striving to be better or go taking the high road, you know, of humanity finally reigning in, it's violent tendencies, oh, still having the violent tendencies, but rating them in, you know, with, you know, Kirk and McCoy on, on ends with Spock in the middle is, is half, you know, or whatever. But yeah, it's going to get, it, it, and it's going to get flogged in every other, you know, every other episode till the very end. It's, that's why it's classic. This is a classic, it, just fits that mold of of theme and structure and acting and you know all the elements of that make Trek ep- the good the the what the episodes that this has always been one of those episodes that stands out to me and oh yeah absolutely I think it's really funny because maybe maybe it's just that I really like more episodes of Star Trek than I thought but it seems like or either that or we're really lucky in the pick of what episodes have come up on the monthly? Oh, Mondays, you know, I was I was flipping except for through the Cloudminders, you know, the, which I ended up enjoying, but the Cloudminders was never one of my favorites. As a matter of no, fact, it was kind of the opposite. But no, believe me, I was flipping through some list recently. Maybe it was the Nitpickers Guide, trying to find this episode and, and look something. But anyway, I'm going to admit uh, something. Oh, right there's now, there's too. there's some of them that that when they come up, I'm just going to be like, oh my god, no, because there there are some that. I'm sorry to say it, you know, but there I'm, are some that just they do might not be the same stop. ones that I have, but there's going to be ones that I that are going to be like pulling teeth for me too. <laughs> but I'm going to say this: 
and I won't say which episode it is, but there is one episode out there that I have never seen. Oh, I've wow. I've only seen the last five minutes of it. I caught the last five minutes of it once, and I've never seen uh-huh. it. And I've, been, and I've sort of, like, avoided it, but I'm going to see it sometime. Avoided it because it's awful, or avoided it... Avoided it because sometime I get to see a, a Star Trek original series episode for the uh-huh. first time ever that I've never seen. And, there's uh, there's some that I know I've only ever seen you know once or once twice or like twice. the one the one with Lazarus, I, to my recollection, really 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 sucks. So I've only seen that one like once or twice. Well, also, but then again, I end up loving it now. So a lot who knows? of them got a lot of them that. Were, were just sort of outwardly sucked or weren't popular, get, never, you know, weren't really in the rotation of the shows in syndication because right. they take out the clunkers. So there, right. were, there were some of them, or they would just they would get put in, but just every once in a while. But everybody knew they were kind of a clunker, so you know they would show them, so everybody got to see all the episodes, but you didn't see them that often. Whereas ones like Trouble with Tribbles might get a little bit more rotation. Because right. everybody loves those those episodes. I can't remember what book it is. I think I think it may be the uh, I think it's called Captain's Log: The Making of Star Trek Five or uh-huh. something. But anyway, it's a Making of Star Trek Five book. I'm I'm kind of blanking on what the actual title of the book is. I'm not sure if that's the book or not, but it's. I, I remember reading either it's either a book written entirely by one of Shatner's daughters, or the preface is written by one of his daughters. But anyway, there's a story that one of his daughters tells about, you know, being little and not really quite understanding what it was that Daddy did for a living, you know. And then she came into like the family room or the den or whatever. And, you know, in my mind, I'm picturing a very, you know, 1970s style, you know, with like the red shag carpet and the panel and all that. You know, the the, the 500 pound TV that stood on legs or whatever, you know. But anyway, you know, I'm imagining this little girl coming into this room and, and here is, you know, her mom and dad are sitting watching TV and they're watching Star Trek. And she's seeing her daddy on TV fighting for his life against this lizard guy and like totally freaked, like Uh really was terrified and scared to death that something bad was going to happen, even though – in real life, he's sitting right there Doesn't watching the show. Doesn't matter when you're a kid like that. You... Yeah, exactly. And and she was just like traumatized by this. I I I may have the wrong book, but uh, but I just I love that story. I thought that was a great story, and that was when she first realized well, yeah. it was explained to her. You know what what exactly you know her dad did for a living, and you know that it was all make believe and blah blah blah. But I, I just think I think that's a great story. I always I, that that story always stuck with me. I thought it was really cool. When I was a little kid, it used to scare the hell out of me. When I watch it now, it's I I'm amazed that they make it so credible that the Gordon actually gets any kind of blow into Kirk because mm-hmm. he's so slow moving and like I mean you could literally sit there with a like a drill. Or you know, or a rock, and just sit there and start working on the back of his head. Just start pounding on it like it, like you were mining a, a mining a piece of ore. Just start, and and whenever he turns to get you, you just keep turning with him because he's pretty slow, and he's probably gonna get slower the more you pound on his head. 
until he dies. You know, that's what I would do. I would go, oh, okay, this, all this guy can do is go, and put his arms forward, you know, he was very stiff, you know, or mm-hmm. probably out of his element or something, but, uh, or, you know, or a guy in a thick rubber suit, but, um, you know, and I mean, they had to rig up. He had his trap set for Kirk that, yeah, and it had it has one of those great commercial yes. shots that now that now that you watch him without the commercial, where Kirk's fucked and the guy is right on top of him and ready to kill him, and then the commercial comes back and it's like everything's been backed up five feet, and Kirk has time to get up and and ru- you know run away, wrestle himself away, and run away and. And you can tell it's a good fight because he's got the scurf face, too. He's got the just one swipe of dirt across his face. I said that to my kids when, when it was going to commercial, when it was fading to black and going to commercial. I said, watch the net. And sure <laughs> enough, the net's all over Kirk. You know, he uh-huh. can't. And then they come back from commercial, and there's like two strings are on him, and he just he kind just of swipes it away. It's <laughs> like, yeah, okay, whatever. But, you know, but what's- you... you didn't have the rewind button back then, you know. Right, right, and there was like you know five minutes in between. So well, speaking of, you were talking about the scurf all over Kirk's face and all that. <laughs> now, did you notice when the Metron sends him back to the ship? All of a sudden, he's got a nice, press, clean uniform. Oh, yeah. and no dirt, and his legs all healed up and everything. Oh, this is as it was before, or what? Yeah. Who knows? Whatever. I and, love when they do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Here's <laughs> perfect. <laughs> All right, I think we should take a break and come back and uh, keep talking about Kirk and cool. the giant lizard creature. All right, we'll be right back. Everyone's a Captain Kirk. I'm Captain Kirk. And now, sit back and relax as we uncork a bottle of Vintage Kirk, brought to you by Master of Motor, William Shatner. No. No, I won't kill you. Maybe you thought you were protecting yourself when you attacked the outpost. No, I won't kill him. Do you hear? You'll have to get your entertainment someplace else. That's your vintage Kirk for this month. Now go get your entertainment someplace else. Okay, we are back. And uh, Chris, you said you had uh, something to share about a connection with this episode and The Outer Limit? Yeah, this is um, this is actually from the um, Star Trek Compendium, and which I don't have in my hand, but I got a book to go... So it sounds like I'm <laughs> licking my finger and paging through it. Page 52, paragraph 4. <clears throat> but um, the writer of this book, Fred Brown, sold this story to um, The Outer Limits and Star Trek. And it was made on The Outer Limits as a uh, episode called Fun and Games. Which I'd like to, I, I'm going to have to see if I can find that and check that out. Yeah, and, I wonder if uh, Outer Limits is on the internet anywhere, you know, like on, know. Uh, you know, like how Star Trek's on CBS or whatever, if Outer Limits is on, you know, somewhere where you can watch it or something. Uh-huh. And then the actual Metron, the voice of the Metrons, was this actor named Vic Perrin. And um, 
Yeah. And uh, if that name sounds familiar, he's the guy who does the introduction to that. We control, you know, the vertical, That's the right. horizontal. That's he's right. He's the same. And when you hear him come, he says something like, you know, I, I think they say something like, you know, you know, he says something like, we will control your ship. You know, he does a very, like, tribute to the, It's it sounds a lot like the Outer Limits opening intro. And it's definitely the voice is definitely recognizable. As as once as soon as I read that 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 it was the same voice, it, I could automatically hear both of them in my head, and I was like, "Oh yeah, exactly. yeah." Vic Perrin. Uh, I, I was trying to remember why that name sounded so familiar. He's the guy that uh, this has nothing to do with Star Trek, but just just because it, it, it jogged a memory to me, he was the guy that just recently it's come to light that. Uh, for many, many, many years, it was believed that he was the original narrator of, of Spaceship Earth at Epcot, oh. and it's turned out that it wasn't actually him after all, but uh, that was like one of those urban legends that was just accepted as fact for so many years. But uh, I'm wondering if he did any other Star Trek, because uh, that, that, his name continues to ring a bell with me, but yeah, that's that's all I'm seeing Oh wait, no. Yeah, it says here uh, he was the voice of. It says he was the voice of Balok, but I don't think that's right. I thought Jimmy Doohan was the voice of Balok. Jimmy Doohan did a lot of voiceover. Yeah, it says he was the voice of Nomad, and he was also in. Uh, oh, he was one of the alien dudes down on the planet in the beginning of Mirror Mirror. You know those uh, those yeah. funny looking alien guys that were uh-huh. down on the planet. But uh, this is off of uh, this is off of the Memory Alpha, which is like the Star Trek version of Wikipedia. But you know what? I really I think they're wrong about uh, about Baylock. I could swear that that's Jimmy Dewan that does Baylock, but I don't know. That's worth uh, that's worth checking into. But uh, yeah, I'd like to see that episode. Also, something else I wanted to uh, to give a shout out to uh, here on the internet is. Uh, um, I know I've mentioned this way back in another episode, but I thought I'd mention it again. Is uh, if you do a search, just do a general Google search for Star Trek inspirational posters, and one of my favorites on this site is from this episode. It's a shot of Kirk setting off his makeshift cannon and blasting the Gorn, and the header on it is ingenuity, and underneath it it says, "Yes, it is perfect, perfectly reasonable that Kirk had the know-how." to make the gunpowder and put together the bazooka to defeat the Gorn. That's why he's the goddamn captain. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. It's it's just great. (laughs) There's a bunch of them on that site. Uh, So, yeah, if you guys haven't checked it out, check it out, because there's some of them that are really, really funny on there. Did you have any more nitpicks that you'd found? Yeah, I I did have a couple. I don't even know if you got to them. I might have uh, diverted you away from... From your nitpicks that you had that that weren't in the nitpickers guide. Yeah, I didn't find any of these in the nitpickers guide, and and you know rather than keep plagiarizing the uh, the nitpickers guide, I, I'm gonna try to point out ones that that he didn't catch, or at least not in the edition I have. I know whether there's later editions of these books, I don't know, but in the ones that uh, that I have, you know, the the nitpicks are. are Fairly obvious for this one, but a couple I noticed that uh, I was surprised weren't in there were uh, there's one sequence and it really really jumped out at me 
was uh, Sulu pushes a bunch of buttons in one sequence. I think it's when Kirk tells him to warp out of orbit or something, but I forget what part of the show it's in. But if you watch it, there's no sounds. You you hear Sulu like 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 he's tapping. Like I don't know if you can hear this, but it's like you know, like tapping his desk. You know? Yeah, which he basically was probably doing. Yeah, that's and all he was. Just, but there's no. Exactly. They never dubbed in any sound effects. And, and even my oldest boy, Scotty, he said, he goes, when he pressed those buttons, was this supposed to like beep or boop or something? And I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. You know, and it didn't, you know, and, and then a, a minute later, he hit some more buttons. And still there was like no there was like maybe a click or something if he if he hit one of the, like the toggle switches or something. But, yeah, none of the buttons made any sounds, which really was kind of odd. Also, this isn't really a nitpick, but what is with the dude with the silly putty on his face? You know, he's supposed to look like he's like radiation burned or whatever, right. but it was a really bad makeup. It just literally looked like he had silly putty spread over one side of his face. It very um, well could have been silly putty it spread been. over it, his face. It sure looked like it. Yeah. All right, here's here was my biggest one, right? Okay, they're they're honking along at something like uh, they're they're in excess of warp seven by the time that that they're the chase is really on. I want to say that they're up to like warp eight or better. So yeah, they're honking right along. They're, they're booking, honking they're right, booking along. right down through they're, space. They're trucking <laughs> through. Yep. Yeah. And the and the Gorn is ahead of them, but they're they're closing the gap, right? Uh huh. And coming up on the system that you know where they eventually get stopped by the Metrons, and Sulu observes the 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 Gorn ship suddenly slammed a sublight like the Enterprise does a little bit later. All right, they're they're just like you say they're honking along doing warp eight, right? All of a sudden, the Gorn ship, which they're about to catch, drops to sublight speed. And for like five more minutes, the Enterprise, you know, there's like Sulu's talking about, oh, you know, all this shit's going on. And, you know, Kirk's giving orders and all these things. I mean, it's I, I don't know exactly how long it is, but say it's even just a minute, a minute at warp eight. How fucking far would they overshoot the Gorn ship yeah. that just dropped to sublight speed? I mean, I know that's nitpicky, but seriously. There's a long time that goes by between the time that they say that the that the the Gorn ship has dropped out of warp and they actually get slammed out of warp too. There, there it's quite a stretch of time. So I'm thinking wouldn't they like really seriously just like fly right past them? Well, they don't it's, have to yeah, well they don't have to turn around and go after back for another minute or so at full warp speed. Yeah, I don't but know. It's just ha- yeah. It just seems weird to me. I mean, I, I've i never really – I mean, I know that there's mathematical equations and all that bullshit for warp speed. But all I know is that it's a hell of a lot faster than sublight speed. So it seems like they should go screaming right past them. But I don't know. Those. I those was wondering of... if you were going to say screaming, man. I was waiting for screaming. <laughs> <laughs> um, Booking, hunting, trucking, other... screaming. <laughs> But the only other things I had was, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but uh, toward the very end of Enterprise with Scott Bakula as the captain. No, I never saw it. I only saw the first episode of that. uh, 
Well, I'm telling you, man, the more I watch that, the more I think that that show had a lot of promise. I'm actually digging it. I'm I'm not watching. I was watching it faithful. Like every morning at breakfast, I was watching a new episode. And I've, I've kind of been lax here recently. But whenever I do actually sit down to watch it, more often than not, I actually really enjoy it. But I know that uh, right toward the end of the series, there was a two-parter. And... Uh, he ends up the captain on an enterprise ends up battling a Gorn in that. And the Gorn in that episode was, uh, was CGI. And it was, I remember it being really good too. I've only ever seen it the one time, but, uh, that that's worth watching. I think that was a really cool episode, especially you know, if you like the Gorn and there was another episode, it might even be the same two parter. I can't remember, but there was one that, uh, showed the Tholians and it was like a uh, full body shot. You know, they were actually in the episode. That yeah. was really cool. Cause I always, I always thought the Tholians are pretty cool and I yeah. always wanted to see them back. So that was kind of neat. Well, they were a nice non, um, you know, humanoid looking life form. They were an actual really alien looking life form, you know? Now I had a couple nitpickies and I was wondering if they were in the nitpickers guide. Is, uh, oh, okay. They were I mean, talking look, I... about they were complaining about eating reconstituted food, which you know in the last episode that we talked about. I don't, I don't think I think that episode actually came after this one, but you know they had the food generator that just would generate like on a molecular mm-hmm. level, sort of probably similar to transporter technology. Would just you know, okay, the guy got his soup, you know, his chicken soup. So you know, I don't, I, I, it, I think it was something that maybe. The writer didn't know that that was, you know, that that wasn't. But somebody was complaining about eating reconstituted food, being sick of eating reconstituted food. No, that is not in here. And you're right. And, uh, yeah, I thought they pretty much, uh, technically, I guess the food would be, I don't know if it would be reconstituted as much as just constituted. But, <laughs> you know, um, and I know I've heard... I've I remember a reference somewhere to um actual it was probably Star Trek two, actual liquor being better than the simulation of of liquor that you would get from like you know, the the Enterprise. So I think that was on uh on Next Gen that they that they talked about that, you know, that, that the the Someone what like I have some real Klingon ale here, so, you know, real Klingon yeah you know, whatever. And, uh, you know, not that simulated stuff, but, um, right. And another thing was, it was a nice, just like, I don't, wouldn't say it's really a nitpick because it wasn't obviously, I guess it was kind of obviously a car road, you know, Kirk's running down this one like path, but it's the exact (laughs) width of a road and it's got tire tracks on, but you know, it's like, you know, it was, it was still just sort of, it wasn't completely just two tire tracks, but you could see where the you know, with it was he was walking down a car road. Oh, that <laughs> reminds me to it. That reminds me of something. I can't believe I didn't have this in my notes. Um, did you ever see Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey? Oh sure. Oh yeah. And there's that. There's that part in the movie where their girlfriends dump them right yeah. toward the beginning of the movie, and they're sitting in their room. And they're actually watching Star Trek. And I'm almost positive they're watching this episode. Oh, they episode. are. They are because then later on in the, later in the on, movie, yeah. they end yep. up there. So that's yep, that was exactly. 
that was that was to make sure all the people who weren't start you know that was just given a little foreshadowing in the movie. Yep, they wind up on that same outcropping of rock that that Kirk's on in in this. I love that, and this is also the episode in uh, in the very beginning of the Coneheads movie. The guy at, at whatever it is NASA or whatever that's supposed to be watching for like like spaceships or whatever on the radar, he's actually watching Star Trek when when Beldar and Primat's ship crashes, and this is the episode that he's watching. And what's really neat is in the score, which is by, oh, it's one of the Newmans, I believe. I'm, let me see. I can look it up here real quick. But anyway, in the actual score to the movie, it actually goes briefly into st- the Star Trek, th- into the, like, the... Um, Fight music down, or the... And da da da, you know that kind of yeah. It's David Newman, and uh, yeah, oh, if I like can find that, that lonely bass theme. That oh no no not the Spock one no no not the Spock. It's the one that it's uh, it's like a foreboding kind of Star Trek. I'm trying to think of an episode, another episode that uses it, and I can't I can't think of one off the top of my head. But I'll find it and I'll put it underneath this part that we're talking about right <laughs> now in the actual. Because so, it, it is very funny that you know it goes from you know whatever the music is you know for the movie and then briefly it goes into an actual Star Trek fight music and then you know back into Conehead's music as you know as the story progresses. But I always got the biggest kick out of that watching that because I like that movie anyway. But uh, it, it's just really funny that they've got that little Star Trek homage yeah. in there. Well, everybody My, everybody likes it. There's a Family Guy episode that has a. That quotes the, the that has like the nerd character is is analyzing this episode in front of his class. As a matter of fact, I'll, I'll have that at the very beginning of ah. that was at the very beginning of this episode. <laughs> My last thing, and uh, I don't know, we'll probably get we'll probably get nasty letters or something about it, but I can't help it. I I, I just have to point this out. I'm sorry. I'm going to go politically incorrect just briefly for this. The Metron, he is the gayest-looking alien I've well, ever I gotta seen. Well, i got to tell you, that's my last out. note here. Is um, <laughs> there's, there's, there's. I think Kirk says you look like a boy, you know. And and, and I'm thinking to myself, really? I kind of thought he looked like a girl to me. He's kind of in his dress and his curly Goldilocks, and he's just sort of like. Hello, what Thaler. Kirk was thinking was, you look like the boy I used to beat the piss out of on the playground when I was a kid. That's what he was thinking. But, uh, yeah, he uh, – I'm sorry, but, yeah, he just – he's not right or something. Well, just... now you see, the Metrons have probably evolved past sex, so they all look androgynously unisex or – you know, they've got that – They've got that sort of mixture of they've got that sort of androgynous Mount Olympus look to them, you know, that sort of beyond morality and sexuality and blah blah blah. I will appear as a little, you know, a little bit of everything so I don't astound the mortal with my true form. I don't know. But yeah, he's sure did look gay. <laughs> <laughs> That's all there is to it. 
I'm sorry. Nothing wrong with that. There's there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing. I mean, come on, man. It's you know. I mean, maybe we can have an argument over who is gay or him or Trelane. You know, except. (laughs) I mean, Trelane was basically Liberace, so you know. Although, didn't he have like like he made mention of like. A, a, a wife or something, or he was trying to romance or her or something, but I don't know. He might have been just doing it in a campy sort of, you know, ironic way. I don't know, but yeah, it, you know, I mean, maybe you know, they had to, they had to have thought that when they, because come on, it was nineteen sixty something that they made this. I mean, he must have looked really gay then, but <laughs> I don't know. I think. I think gay was just as gay then as it is today. I think people like could would see a like a character in a TV show and know that that was a gay character. Except nobody in the TV show would say that guy is gay, or they'd say something like, you know, he's funny, or funny he never got married, or something like that, and, <laughs> and hint at it. But nothing that you know, nothing that the kids could, were going to pick up on. But uh, yeah, so I think. Uh, that about that's about the end of my notes for this one. I think me too. Um, I do love, love this episode, and we, I, I, it, it never gets old for me. I really like this one. Now, do you have your episode guide by your side right now? Oh yes, I do. I am prepared Ooh, this time. I've got my not. random number generator right here, right. ready to flick the switch. Where that puppy up? There she goes. Oh, kitty, kitty. episode number 43. 43. 43 is. Dun, dun, dun. <gasps> Wolf in the Fold. Oh. <laughs> God, we're lucky. We're lucky. Kill, kill, kill them all. <laughs> you all die horribly. Oh, this my God. One- this is the one where Winnie the Pooh go, or no, it's not Winnie. It's a uh, Piglet. Piglet goes <laughs> nuts. Oh my god! It is, oh, I'm gonna keel over. It is Piglet. Oh no! Yeah, one of the wimpiest character. He's oh, like the wimp, like always played the wimpy voiced character because he's like no getting around it. Yeah, he's just this little wimpy looking guy. Oh, I love this episode. I can't believe how lucky we are to be. I hope I hope we don't burn out all the great episodes right at the beginning of <laughs> we're gonna, our monthly We're going to watch all the great ones in the beginning and then we'll be stuck with like 20 episodes Spock's of brain and stuff like that. Hey, you I know? like Spock's brain. <laughs> Good for you, man. Good for you. <laughs> Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com where you can download all of our episodes and find our forum to openly and freely discuss topics from this and all other episodes with us and your fellow listeners. twotruefreaks.libsyn.com is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S dot Libsyn, which is L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. You can email us directly at two true freaks at gmail.com. And thanks for listening to the Two True Freaks podcast. 
Future Freaks has been brought to you today by Damanzo Core of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U. But wait, there's more! Two True Freaks is very proud to present a sensational new group, direct from Boston and playing their song Roadside Queen. Here's Hatch! Check Hatch out at myspace.com slash one hatch band. That's myspace.com slash the number one H A T C H B A N D. That's myspace.com slash one hatch band, where you can learn more about the band, sample more of their great music, and even buy their new CD. And tell them Two True Freaks sent you. Bye. <laughs> 